0: Well, as is customary on a December Sunday in Advent, we are confronted again today with the figure of John the Baptist. Today he comes to us from the very first page of the gospel according to John. And here in John's gospel, we get a different picture of the Baptist than we get in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In those gospel accounts, he is described in curious detail, um, the by now familiar, unforgettable uh, notes about his startling appearance, um, his odd and rugged clothing, his strange eating habits, his fire and brimstone preaching with vivid, unsettling images. In today's gospel, however, John the Baptist is more subdued, less impassioned. In fact, in this gospel account, he's not even named as the Baptist. He is merely identified as the one who testifies. He is a witness. Who are you? He is asked almost accusingly. The religious establishment in Jerusalem has sent investigative envoys down from the Holy City, down from HQ into the desert east of the Jordan River where this non-establishment prophet is preaching and baptizing and gaining quite a large following. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And the answer that John gives to this question about his identity Is not a finger pointed at himself. It's not a finger pointed at his ministry. It's not a finger pointed at his followers. It is a finger pointed outward and upward. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. And we have here, again on the very first page of the Gospel according to John, the earliest glimpse of Christian witness, of preaching. John the Baptist is the earliest figure for the ministry of the church itself. Well, I myself am feeling a little more subdued today, less impassioned this morning. For almost 16 years, on a Sunday like this, when my alarm would go off, my eyes would immediately bang open. I get to preach today. and It was a little bit different this morning. And of all the characters in the Bible about whom I have preached through the years among you, I'm not sure if, given the choice, I would have picked John the Baptist uh, for my last sermon here. But I am very confident of this. John the Baptist would remind me, he would remind you all, this is not his day. This is not my day. With finger pointed outward and upward, as always, this is the Lord's day. And as ever, as ever, our Lord is always in the business of bringing new life out of things passing away. And I believe that with all my heart. Several months ago, I was sitting in my office here at my, my um, desk looking at the computer screen on my credenza, and I was having a Zoom conversation with some members of a search committee in Houston, Texas. Great people just like y'all are great people. I was asked a question by one of them, and I leaned back in my chair a little bit to think about an answer, and I happened to look out the window to my right out into the parking lot. And right then, one of my very best friends in the church walked by, and I heard myself kind of blurt out. I said, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't bear the thought of not being a friend with him here in this place and sharing in ministry with him in this place. I mean, what am I doing? I don't think I can bear it. And they heard me say that. At the same time, it was almost as clear as a bell internally to hear a voice that said, of course you can bear it, and you will. I am the one who is always coming, always calling, and especially always coming to those who are called out always offering new life beyond every grief, beyond every closed chapter. And so with the grief, therefore, in leaving here, leaving you, there is excitement about new ministry. There really is for what is coming to meet me there in Houston, Texas. I want to thank um, a lot of you who have um, taken the effort um, taking advantage of an opportunity to say goodbye to me and to Susie Lee over recent weeks. Uh, the conversations that we've had, um, the notes, the emails, the texts, the phone calls, uh, things dropped at the office, things dropped at my front door. Uh, we have been overwhelmed, overwhelmed by your grace and generosity. I will say this, it's a little bit like attending your own funeral service. People say the nicest things they can possibly think to say, with all of the good taste and not saying all the other negative things that they also could say. And I know there's a lot there. So let me address something that's important to me right now. Uh, this is a large corporate parish, but like any healthy congregation of any size, we also are like a family. Um, we have shared so much life together over these 16 years. For better for worse, for richer, for poorer. Yes, Uh, it's like a marriage. You've gotten to know me well. That is to say, you have seen me through all facets, including when I'm not at my best. In a a little while, we're going to pray over the um, conclusion of this pastoral relationship. And it's important for me to ask that you forgive me for all the ways that I've fallen short in serving this church and serving you. Please forgive me, and I forgive you. But the grace that you have extended me in recent weeks, I was sharing with the staff just earlier um, this past week, in all my years of ordained ministry, all my years of walking with the Lord as an adult, all my years of being in His Word and being in prayer, it is embarrassing for me to admit how difficult it is simply to receive gifts, to receive generosity, to receive grace. And the reason for that is quite simple. Again, I'm embarrassed to confess to you. It's because deep down, I know that I'm not worthy. Deep down, I hear the voice saying, if they only really, really knew me, they would never say these things. But that is precisely what grace is. So thank you. Thank you. This is my last sermon with you, and wants me, um, something wants me to go all the way back to my first sermon here, first one I ever preached. Um, there are some here in the room who were present for that sermon back in early 2005, and all I ever wanted to do in that sermon, and ever since, was to answer the question that is posed to John the Baptist, who are you? What do you say about yourself? The fundamental question of identity. We point away from ourselves to him as the source of our identity. And I shared that day, again, in early 2005, although I grew up in a very loving family, a church-going family, had a lively faith as a child, an adolescent, and a teenager, I fell completely away from that faith, completely away from my relationship to God when I went to college. This is an old and very familiar story, I know, of the prodigal son. And when I came to my senses and turned around, I went running to the Father only to discover the Father had already been running toward me. And he embraced me, and he forgave me, and he disclosed he was not only my father, but Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, raised from the dead, reigning with the Father, whom I met all over again, but it was this time like the very first time. And I knew in that warm embrace of utterly undeserved grace that I would never be the same, that the arc of my entire life had changed, and it would be an adventure, offering more life than I could. Ever possibly accumulate for myself if left to my own devices? So, two things about that that are still true. Number one, I have never gotten over my astonishment at the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ and what it cost Him to give it to me. And number two, I have never ever gotten to the point where I completely get that and can close the book, it's done because of the way I am, still sinful, I always need to return, to repent, to come back, to come back with you all here, among other places, to trust, to hear again the Lord's own answer to my question about who I am, the voice that says to me and to you, you are my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. Your sins are forgiven. Stand and walk. Come, follow me. As the Father has sent me, I send you." And I've always wanted you to hear that too. I don't think I've ever wavered in that passion. My burning desire, that we would together become a new people in whom Christ is more and more the center point of life. That together we would become people growing and maturing all the time. That every aspect of our life is now arranged around him. That together we would be an ever brighter light in our families, to our friends, and to our neighbors, into the city, and to the larger church, into to the world. And that together we would never think that the goal of our life together at St. George's Church is to be a successful church, to do ministries competently and well, to be super highly well organized and, you know, hitting on all cylinders like that, which, by the way, is not an easy thing to pull off. But that all of that would be in the service of a higher goal a larger purpose to break open spaces and reconfigured imaginations for bold vision and risky initiatives where God can enter from another world to bless us and going forth to bless other people who in turn will bless us back. That's why we do what we do here. Please continue in that. God has been so good in these desires, and God is hardly, hardly finished with St. George's Church, which is why I am not only excited for my new ministry, but for your ministry as it goes forth into a new day. The best is yet to come for St. George's Church. Believe that. Trust in that. Think of this. John the Baptist points forward. And he says, the one who is coming, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. Imagine yourself, it's someday in the future, all of you together, and you're looking back at your life here in December 2020, and you are able to say, as we look back on where we were then, and we thought it was good then, that church is not worthy to untie the thong of our sandals today. That would be something to yearn for, to pray for, and to trust in. John the Baptist is crystal clear that his identity is not found in himself, in his own ministry, in his preaching, in his followers. Rather, he is clear it is found in the mighty, merciful one who is outside of himself, outward and upward, but the one who is also ever coming toward us, and especially coming toward us who are on the move toward him. And as tempting as it has been for me through the years, I have never wanted my identity to be overly bound up in being the rector of St. George's Church here in Nashville. As much as I have loved you, as much as I have loved every single day of ministry here, I belong to Christ, and so do you. For me and my vocation, that has meant I must be obedient to be open to divine adventure when it is safer to stay put, to be responsive to disruptive challenge that risks my family's personal happiness and my own professional contentment, but wherein there is a powerful sense that there are yet new gifts, new growth, and new grace out there in the future. And for me, that is involving a geographical change. But for you, it involves movement as well movement in your spiritual lives. Here again, I desire for you only what I desire for myself. And again, that is why in spite of the personal sadness that I feel this day, I am excited for the future. And I'm as excited for you all as I am for myself, truly. I love you all and always will.